Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from the book of Joel. We find in this part of the book of Joel, God's people in a time of uh, national tragedy, national calamity. They have turned away from the Lord and things have happened to them. God has sent things to them in order to restore them to himself and to bring them back to himself. And we find in this chapter, chapter 2, some of the the characteristics of the Lord. And we see in verse 25 this beautiful phrase, the Lord promising to his people, I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. And so Kim will come and read this for us. I'm going to read from Joel chapter 2, verse 21 to 27. And then I've been asked to read from the New King James Version. Fear not, O Lord. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Do not be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the open pastures are springing up, and the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you. The former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The threshing floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust. My great army which I sent among you You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. This is the word of the Lord. And our New Testament reading this morning uh, from the book of John, John chapter 21, and starting at verse 15. Remember, this is Jesus meeting Peter on the beach among the other disciples after his resurrection. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, 
who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that his disciples would not die. But Jesus did not say he would not die, only said, if, you want to remain, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord our God, we wish to hear your word proclaimed to our lives and to our hearts, and so will you soften our hearts that we may delight in your presence. Sharpen our minds that we may discern the truth. Sharpen our wills that we may again desire your ways. Through Jesus Christ, amen. There was a famous partnership in the 1940s between Billy Graham, many of you have heard of Billy Graham, and a guy called Charles Templeton. And in the 1940s, Billy Graham and Charles Templeton traveled around Europe with an organization called Youth for Christ. And the two of them went and evangelized, spoke, shared the gospel across Europe at that time. And Charles Templeton actually became known in that crusade, in that campaign, as kind of the more articulate sharer of the gospel as opposed to Billy Graham. Well, 1949, 1948, Charles Templeton decided he would take a break from ministry and evangelism and do a little bit of education. He took a few years off. And Templeton found himself, after many years of spreading God's word in a very successful manner, very committed to Christ with Billy Graham, being kind of raised above him in terms of his ability to share, Templeton found himself, after two years uh, in this break that he took around 1949, he found himself turning, turning his back on God. And Billy Graham and him took a famous walk, you can read about it in different books, where Templeton says in the 1950s, you know, Billy, I, I just can't believe that the Bible is real, that it's trustworthy. Templeton went on to move to Toronto, became a famous journalist. Many decades later, he uh, wrote a book called why I Left Christian Faith, or Reasons I Left Christian Faith, and proclaimed himself as an agnostic and or atheist, and really in that moment by the 70s, he said, turned his back completely on his faith in Jesus. Near the end of his life, uh, in the 2000s, a famous journalist interviewed Charles Templeton. He was not all that well. Uh, he had early onset Alzheimer's. But his family allowed the interview, and he wanted the interview. He was very articulate, was able to share part of his life and what happened. And near the end, the interviewer asked Templeton about Jesus and about his faith in Jesus and what happened to him back in the 1940s, the late 1940s, and how all that came about. And by the end of the interview, Charles Templeton said to this journalist, I think it was around 2015, you know, I've lived this whole life, I've, I've rejected Christian faith. And the, art, and the guy said, what about Jesus? And Templeton looked at him and said something like, well, of all the things, I miss him. Well, this morning in this second part of the sermon series called Invitation and Restoration, we turn our gaze briefly to a man called Peter. Peter who denied Jesus, we know, three times back in the Gospel of John. 
And he did a really spectacular job denying Jesus. Uh, there was a girl in the priest's courtyard in John 18 who asked Peter, uh, you know, hey, you were with him. You're a disciple, right? And he says no. And then someone in the crowd later on in the same area asks, hey, you're, you know this guy, Jesus? No, I don't know him. And then, um, and then this, a cousin of the guy that uh, knew Peter because Peter chopped off the guy's ear in the garden knows who Peter is and was there as a very clear eyewitness, says, uh, well, you, you were a disciple, and, 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 Jesus, and Peter denies Jesus there a third time. Well, in today's sermon, I want us to walk in a minute through these verses in John, and I want us to learn, I hope, that it will be helpful for us as Christians, or maybe you're just thinking about Christianity and you're, and you're new to Christian faith, you're wondering, maybe you're searching for meaning in your life. I hope today we can learn about this, that, that God revealed in the Bible, which is completely trustworthy and sufficient for our entire lives, this God is a restoring God. This is the God who restores lives, who restores people, who restores situations as bad as they, as they or impossible as they may be. Maybe you brought an impossible situation to church this morning. Well, there's good news. Uh, we're going to meet, I hope, in this word from the Bible, a God who is a restoring God. You know, we see this characteristic and this work in God all through the Bible. Naaman is restored from leprosy. Uh, David prays, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Hezekiah in Isaiah 38, his life is lengthened and restored. In Joel, Kim just read about a God who promises to his people to restore the years the locusts have eaten. Are you here this morning with any sense in which there are years or things in your life that the locusts have eaten that need restoring, that need help? Well, we find this morning about Peter, and I'll tell you how we're going to proceed. I know it's a long introduction. Peter's denied Jesus. He's with Jesus on the beach. They're walking down the beach together now. We know from verse 22, 23. And he's denied Jesus. He's turned his back on him. Jesus has raised Peter up to be the leader of the apostles and the disciples. And he's rejected Jesus brilliantly. And people have heard about this. And what is Jesus going to do? Is he going to replace Peter? Is he going to re remove him from the, the ministry that he put him in? Is he going to remind Peter just how bad a decision he made in his life and how terrible that was? Well, we're going to see, I hope, Jesus who has a restoring work. We're going to see the restoring work of Jesus in the life of Peter and in this story. And I hope and pray we'll be able to see the restoring work of God for each one of us. Well, we'll look at this in uh, three sections. The restoring work of Jesus, number one, recovers our love for him. The restoring work of Jesus, number two, recommissions us to serving. And number three, the restoring work of Jesus reinstates us to our truest direction in life. Well, number one, the restoring work of Jesus recovers our love for him. Are you with me? All right. First one, the restoring work of Jesus recovers our love for him. 
Now, we see in verse 15 this whole, probably the most famous exchange in the Bible, uh, with it, one of the most celebrated exchanges in the Bible via question and answer. And here it is between Jesus and Peter. And how does this exchange start as Jesus recovers uh, Peter's love for him? Well, it starts this way in verse 15. Jesus calls Peter uh, by his family name, by his traditional name, Simon, son of John, Simon, son of John. He doesn't call Jesus by the special name he gave him, Petros or Peter, the rock of his church. He calls him by his very human name, his family name, his old name. And it kind of ties in with, uh, at the end of this section in verse 18, Peter says, Jesus, you're hurting me. Peter was hurt because Jesus is asking him these questions. And, and using his, his, his old family name as opposed to the name Rock, where Peter said, Lord, in, in John 13, I'll lay down my life for you. And in Matthew 26, Lord, I will, some will fall away, but I will never fall away. Peter says that to Jesus. And Jesus calls him the Rock on which I'll build my church. Instead of calling him the rock, Jesus, the one I'll lay down my life for you, instead he calls him by his family name, his old name, Simon, son of John. And, and we see as the questions go, he, Peter's also hurt. And the beginning of this recovery for um, Peter is that Jesus kind of puts his finger on the hurt, the deepest hurt in Peter's life. He probes him. He calls him by a name that matters. He, 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 he puts his finger on something in Peter. Any of us who go to a doctor and want help and say, you know, my, my side hurts, do we want the doctor to look at our foot? We don't. Jesus here is able to focus in on that issue for Peter, that sense of him denying him, what's happened to his heart. He's turned his back on Jesus. And what we find here, this restoring work of Jesus and Peter works to recover uh, Peter's love for him and our love for him, Jesus of all things that he does in this exchange. And by the way, the, there's so much written about the three loves that uh, is used here, the different kinds of words for love, and I won't even take time to go into it except to say they matter, but I don't think they matter as much to understanding the story. John uses agape and filio as synonyms often in the Gospel of John, and Jesus is probably speaking here in Aramaic anyway. Jesus focuses on one thing in this work of, of recovery, of, of restoring. Jesus focuses on this one thing. He focuses on the issue of Peter's love. How many, how, many, how, many, how many things do we have in our life that are going on? Do we have doubts? Do we have failures we can't get over? Do we have things that aren't going to work out? Are we thinking about today maybe walking away from the Lord? Have we in the past? Where are we? Where's your heart this morning? For a minute, can we just focus together on this passage in the Bible and walk with Jesus as he focuses on one issue? The issue of Peter's love for him. 
Jesus doesn't focus on the past. He doesn't focus on, on, on what, what happened or what the future, what's going to happen necessarily. At this moment, he doesn't look at, at, at uh, different qualities in Peter that, that may be lacking or leadership skills that he has to build in, things that he has to rearrange in his life. He looks at this one thing, the issue of love. Do you love me, he asks Peter. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these men on the beach with you? Where is your love directed, he asks Peter. Do you love me more than this way of life, more than these, this way of fishing in the boats? Uh, I mean, I've known you for three years, Peter, but is all this going to wear off now and you're kind of just going to go back to your regular way of fishing and living? Where's the center of your love, Peter? Do you love me more than these? He asked him again, Simon said, John, do you love me? He asked him again, Simon said, John, do you love me? It's like Jesus in his work of restoring Peter is asking the question, hey Peter, just how much of my heart, just how much of your heart do I have? How much of, of Peter's heart does Jesus have? How much, of, how much of your heart does Jesus have when it comes down to it? Why is Jesus focused on this whole thing about love? Why does he go over it three times? I mean, well, there's a few reasons, I think. One of them is you can fake a lot of things in life. You can argue a lot of things. You can say a lot of things. You can do a lot of things. But you can't really fake love. Either, either you love someone or you don't. I think also Jesus focuses on love because we read in the New Testament and the work of Jesus that love for God is the primary attitude of a heart that's forgiven. Right? Love for God is the fundamental attitude of a heart that has been forgiven. Put it this way. All of us sin, all of us are broken, all of us are going our own way without the help of God and that way eventually will lead to death and is leading to death in our own lives if we are not focused and following Jesus. And that's where the life of sin goes, it heads towards death. But Jesus is getting at something in Peter here as he tries to recover this man's life. He's saying, Peter, uh, do you love me? Do you love me? What is the attitude of your heart? He's looking into the heart of Peter and asking if Peter knows the magnitude of God's mercy for him as a sinner. If he knows the wonder of his grace for him as someone who will mess up and lose things and ruin his life and hurt the lives of others. And Jesus is wondering here if Peter has, has realized this, that all, all the hope that he has is the hope of a man who's broken and sinful, who's been forgiven. And how is it that if we have reached a moment, that moment in our lives each day or a, a moment in our, in our lives, that one situation, maybe you have never reached that moment in your life. How is it possible that we can come to this reality in our lives that we are lost forever without Jesus? And how is it that we can come face to face with a Savior and realize that all of our life and breath and Everything we will ever do and want to do is based only on one thing, the mercy and goodness 
and grace of Jesus, how can we come face to face with that? Jesus, I think, is asking Peter and not love him. Do you love me? Jesus asked Peter. You know, we uh, see this in the story in Luke chapter 7 with the woman, Mary, who anoints Jesus' feet with oil. The religious leaders get so upset at this. They get so mad. And uh, the others watching get so upset at this. And what what does Jesus say to them? She's been forgiven much, so she, she loves much. There's no love like the love of someone who's been broken, of someone who's been forgiven, of someone who's known the grace of God. There's no love like the love of a forgiven sinner. The opposite, of course, in our hearts, and Jesus is prying at this, is the self-righteous heart, is the heart that doesn't need forgiveness, doesn't need help, the heart that is proud in its own ways. Jesus is saying, look, Peter, I've got more for you to do. All I need to know is, do you realize this spiritual truth? That's the starting point. Do you love me? Do you Do you know the wonder of my mercy? Do you know the wonder of my forgiveness? And Peter answers him three times. Lord, you you know that I love you. Lord, you know that I love you. Uh, And the third time, Peter says, Lord, you know all things. Of course, in the end, this probing of Jesus into the life of Peter leads Peter to confess this wonderful truth that, that Jesus, that the Lord God knows all things. He knows everything in our lives. He knows everything in your life, every detail, every concern. Psalm 139, Lord, you've searched me and you have known me. It is, of course, the very key secret to living a flourishing life that leads to heaven. Lord, you know everything. You know all things. You know that I love you. Peter's a man who has been touched before and now has been renewed and recovered again in the love of Christ. So where are you this morning in this? We'll talk about that more, but where are we? Are there things that need restoring in our lives? Are we, are we far from God? Well, let me just ask you this. Do you love God? Do you love the Lord Jesus? Do you love the Lord Jesus? It's a question that all of us need to answer every day the one question that we need to answer in our lives. It's the only question that's going to matter. It's a bit of a dangerous doctrine, I know, just saying love, love, love. But Jesus doesn't leave it there, does he? Part of his restoring work 
of Jesus is second point. That was a long first point. <laughs> second point, he recommissions us to serving, doesn't he? He looks for our living. He looks for our acts of obedience to him. He looks for our living for Jesus. And we see here in the second point, he re, the restoring work of Jesus recommissions us to serving. He says to Peter three times, after Peter answers him three times, feed my lambs, um, take care of my sheep. And again, feed my sheep. And we can go into all the Greek vocabulary on sheep, lambs, lambs, sheep, tend, all that stuff, and repetitions, and what's repeated and what's not. The point is, Jesus recommissions Peter to serving. doesn't just leave him there. He says, Peter, you failed. Uh, your life needs recovery. Uh, I, 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 for, I, you know, I'm, I'm drawing into my forgiving goodness and love. I'm giving you hope for a future, but I'm not leaving you there. Your love for me, Peter, is meant to be shown in obedience and in service to my people. As Christians, if you call yourself a Christian this morning, one of the things that needs to be in our lives every single week and every single day as part of our rhythm is serving God's people. Whether that be, whatever that might be in your own, in, in, in your own calling, maybe in, in this church, I would hope. That needs to be part of who we are as Christians. If we love him, we're called to serve him. We're recommissioned to serve him, to serve others, wherever that might be in your, in your matrix. I read all those names at the beginning of the service. Some of those guys are going to be called in a, in a special way to serve God in this church, but the ops board puts out these volunteer surveys every, you know, I don't know, whatever, every two weeks. Sign up. You're a Christian. Sign up. It's part of your calling. You can't serve. Jesus wants us to have this as part of our lives, integrated, serving others in his church. Look, there's no ladder upwards in the kingdom of God when it comes to serving. There's no, there's no, there's no kind of hierarchy of, of I'm going to do this one or that one or this thing. All of the serving we do is down. All of the serving we do is kneeling before others, washing the feet of others. All of the serving we do is sacrifice in the, in the name and in the model of Jesus. There's no ladder up in this. He just says, tend my, my sheep, my flock. That's hard work. You know, the hard work of a shepherd. Of, that's... Richard Baxter writes in one of his books about ministry and work. He says, you know, the key is this, is you're serving. You need to see every single person you're serving as someone... Is that person worth the blood that Jesus shed? Let that be the heart of our serving as Jesus. Is Jesus calling you? Is Jesus touching you? Is Jesus calling us to serve him in new and fulfilling ways? It's part of being restored. It's part of a life that's whole. Third thing we learn about the restoring work of Jesus is the restoring work of Jesus recovers our love for him. The restoring work of Jesus recommissions us to serving. I got all the R's in there, right? Pretty good. Last one, I got a really good thesaurus. What's the third one? The restoring work of Jesus, we learn, reinstates us to our truest direction in life. So Peter learns. Wow, Peter, it's good news for Peter. It's wonderful. He's, uh, he's loving this. And Jesus says to him in the whole bunch of verses, he says, he says in verse 19, he says in verse 18, well, Peter, you're going to get, you're young, you're going to get old. 
You're young, you're going to get old, you're, you're mobile, you have very few limitations, you can go everywhere, but one day you're going to get old and you're going to have limitations and you're learning the, the limitations of life. It's, it points to the kind of death that Peter will have. And Jesus says in this, follow me. And it's interesting, isn't it, in this work of restoring that Jesus says to Peter, look, you're going to have limits. <laughs> like the Apostle Paul had, what, a thorn in his side, didn't he? Jacob left his work with the, his encounter with the angel with a limp. He had a limit. And part of us being restored by Jesus, I think, is as we live those lives of obedience and following him, is, is, is understanding that there are times in our lives that we need to be broken by God in order to be useful for God. There are times when a thorn's got to be put in our side so that we can look to him time and time again, that we can submit to him over and over and over for his help and his strength. That idea of a yoke being placed on our neck, we see that in the Bible, is, is this idea of submission. And those, those, it's only, we're only useful if we have that yoke upon us. And Peter, Jesus says to him, look, you're going to have limitations moving forward. Know them, but follow me. I've broken you, Peter, maybe so that I can use you. So we really know what life is about. And we really know what faith and trust and loving Jesus is about. And that's a pretty mature Christian prayer. To me, that's like, maybe you're here just checking out Christianity. One of the unbelievable upside-down things about Christianity is a prayer, you know, something like, Lord, Lord, break me so you can use me. <laughs> Lord, thank you for that trial so that I have perseverance and hope like I've never known before. Whew. That's like Christianity, not 101, but, you know, 10 10 whatever, 901. Peter's learning that from Jesus. The truest direction in his life is follow me. And in the next verses, again, Peter automatically in verse 20, as soon as Jesus says this, gets distracted <laughs> and loses his way and says, what does Peter say? This guy kills me. I mean, we're all Peters in some ways, but Jesus says this beautiful thing to him and... Uh, and uh, what does Peter say? Where does my thing go? He said, what about him in verse 21? <laughs> hey, Jesus, what about that guy? Or what about, I keep pointing. What about that guy over there? He gets distracted. And Peter reminds him again, look, just follow me. Forget about him. The mature Christian life is all about Jesus. Jesus at the center of all I'm doing. Follow me, he says to him again. What is that to you, he says in verse uh, 23, if, if whatever happens to John over there. Follow me, look to me, pursue me. Have me as your goal. Seek me, desire me, aim for me. Go after me. That's the truest direction in our lives. Regardless if you're a student here trying to decide whether to do your PhD at wherever, Harvard, or whether you're going to get out of your high school and start working right away or whether you're deciding whether or not to get married or whether you're deciding whether to move your parents into a facility or whether you're 95 and have lived an amazing life. Follow me. I read this thing about a pastor who kept a diary about visiting senior citizens in their old age homes, hospitals. And he writes about one lady who's lived a whole life of trying to follow Jesus. She's 94. And he writes in his diary, it was uh, 50 years ago, about this one encounter he had with this woman who was 94 visiting. And he was kind of blown away by what she said. He asked her, Mrs. So-and-so, what can I pray for you for? And here she is, 94, in a 
hospital, an old age home, I think it was. And she looks at him and says, Pastor, I'm 94. Will you pray for me that every day I turn from sin and cling to Christ? That blew me away because I thought by the time I'm 94, I, I had it all figured out. <laughs> She's 94, she gets it. <laughs> Let me turn from sin and cling to Christ. That just blew me away. Well, where are we this morning as we try to close off this message? I tried to make three points from this passage. First one was um, about our truest direction in life, going backwards. So for you, if you need to hear that message this morning, do you have direction? Are you lost? You wake up in the morning, you're not sure if this is what I'm doing? Are, 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 you, are, you, are you find you're, you're running towards sin? Is it that? Is it that? Is that where we are? Well, if, if you are and you feel like you're lost for direction, may you hear the words of Christ this morning, follow me. He says it all through the Gospels, follow me. All the rest of your life will kind of come, come along after that, once you find yourselves on your knees before me, follow me. If that's a word you need to hear this morning and there's, you're lost for direction, I, I hope that you will, you will hear that and turn to Christ. What about number two? What about our recommissioning to service? Do you find yourselves in a situation where you've been, oh, something's happened, and you find, Lord, I'm not serving you at all. I'm just tired. I'm tuckered out. I'd rather be doing something else. Jesus restores Peter so he can serve. The restoring work of Jesus here is towards service. And get this, ministry in the world, ministry in your households, ministry at work, ministry in the world, and all of us, of course, are called to one ministry or another in our, in our lives. Ministry, we learned from this story, is, is the service of restored people. Ministry is the service of, 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 of men and women who have been healed, who have been broken and healed, who have failed and been picked up by Jesus. It, ministry is, is the work of men and women who have, who have, who have heard from Jesus, do you love me? And they've said, yeah, I, I love you. All of our histories are caught up in that, and God, God takes that and he uses it in, in beautiful ways in the days that we have left on the earth. Why is that? Well, because God is a restoring God. God is a God who will restore the years the locusts have eaten and will send us on. So the first point, what does need restoring in our lives? I've said it before, I'm going to say it again now. What does need restoring in our lives? The restoring work of Jesus. What needs it most? Is there a time in your life where you have, pardon me, are you, I just lost me. Are you, sorry, that was me. Are you, are you denying Jesus? Have you turned your back on Jesus? Are you here this morning? And I'm just here for the, whatever reason, God wants you here. And you have turned your back on God, basically. I pray that you'll hear this word for you. Do you have a secret thing in your life, a secret sin in your life, a secret disobedience to God in your life that is, in, a, in essence, denying him? Uh, are we living in, a, in our marriages in, in a way that is really just denying the presence and hope of Christ, that we're not really being good news to the one we promised to be good news to before God? 
Um, is, there, is there a brokenness in our family situations or our, our, our relationships that needs wonderful healing? Well, whatever it is that needs restoring in your life, I pray that today and as we just kind of go into the spring, and I, I, I really pray that, that today will be kind of your Sea of Galilee. I pray that today, which is the day of salvation, will be a day that we might hear again about the wonders of Christ's grace, the, the wonders of us calling us from sin, the wonders of calling us from lostness. Do you love me? Lord, you know everything. It's what Jesus wants. Jesus doesn't want Peter to be lost forever. He doesn't want to beat him up. We see the loving kindness of God in Jesus Christ, the hope that we have in him. You know there is hope for every situation in our lives because God is a restoring God. Let me end this series with a short story. It's not a story, a short whatever this is. Two minutes. So there was a woman called Egeria in the fourth century. She lived, uh, she was a Christian. She lived in the fourth century. She lived on the Atlantic coast. And she famously took a trip all the way to the Holy Land. And her whole time she took diaries and notes of her travels. It's a very famous set of documents. They teach us a lot about early Christian faith about what worship was like in Jerusalem. She went to Jerusalem for Lent and Easter in the 4th century, imagine. Took notes the whole time. What are these Christians like? Agiria traveled all around the Holy Land. They took her to uh, one place which was uh, up in the north where, uh, where, 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 where there were healings that Jesus apparently did in the Gospels. And she found herself wandering either even farther north to this place on the shore of Galilee that she writes about in her journal, where she found a small church with a stone altar in it that had been named the Place of the Coals. And it was the place those early Christians marked for where Jesus met Peter and restored his life. And Aguirre wrote down in her diary about her travels and about her experiences. And it's an amazing thing how she just called, recalls in this detail and description a, a, a moment in time by the, by the Sea of Galilee, then in the fourth century, a stone altar there, but a moment in time, a, a situation in history where the living Lord Jesus uh, transformed a man's life, restored a man's life. I mean, Peter could have been lost in sadness and depression and spun off, you know, in, in any direction. And yet here is this wonderful marking in time about the Lord Jesus meeting her. Many centuries later, uh, some Christians put up a statue at this site that Aguirre first wrote about. And it's a stone statue. And it's one of Jesus and Peter out there on the beach. And Peter's on his knees. He's kneeling before Jesus. And Jesus has his, his hand out, his arm out, kind of over his head, blessing Peter, ministering to Peter, restoring Peter. And it's a moment where we see in the Bible, and I hope we see in our own lives, the restoring grace of Jesus in all its wonder.
Let's pray. Lord, there are things in our lives that need so much help. Things that we're hiding from you and each other. Things we think we're too ashamed to share. Things we think you don't want to hear. You'd be angry with us. But thank you that you, O oh God, are a gracious, gracious Father. A good, good Father who wants the best for us who, when his son asks for a loaf of bread, will give him a stone. And so, Lord, we just want to lay before you in the rest of this time of worship those things we need. We want to be able to say we love you anew and afresh. We want to be able to say we follow you. We thank you that you are with us, present. We want to know, Lord, again, your grace. Through Christ we pray. Amen.